Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And I had my favorite guest. Well, in fact, she's the co-host of the show, Gabby, on the show today. It was really wonderful. We talked about some really cool stuff. Um, we started talking about um, the election and what impact the election has on property markets. Uh, and then we started talking about interest rates and all of that kind of stuff in the context of what's happening today. Uh, but we've really covered some really interesting angles, including the fact that rents are rising at an unprecedented rate and loads of other really interesting stuff. Um, so if you are all interested or have a, have a little bit of uncertainty about what's happening in the market right now, then I'm sure this episode is going to be for you. Make sure you like, rate, review, share this with a family member, friend, or loved one. And if you want to get your questions asked and answered on the show, send us an email to til at dashdot.com.au. See you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is my fantastic wonderful co-host Gabby. Hello guys, we actually just recorded the, the intro and he called me my co-host and I quickly corrected him. I was like, hello, beautiful life partner, amazing, amazing partner in crime. But you know, it's, it's fine. You did, you did better this time. <laughs> Look, it's, well, I threw in a wonderful, I threw in a wonderful, right? It's good. <laughs> It's nice to it's nice Hello. to have you on it's nice to have you on the show, Gabby. It's but you've there's, you've been in and out a little bit over the last couple of months, and so it's um it's really nice to be um, doing another episode with you. What are we talking about today? Yeah, well, we've got uh you know people who have questions in general, like about property, what's going on um yeah. in the current market, the current economy. What do I do? Because a lot of people, you know, it's kind of an ongoing thing. People don't know what to do, need a bit of guidance. So we really just kind of wanted to summarize some questions that are coming through from general conversations and then we notice some themes. So we're just going to really kind of fire through some of these FAQ, I guess, of the current current uh, economic realities of the world. What do you reckon? Sounds good. Sounds good to me. I love this kind of stuff. Sweet. <laughs> you do. You love a good, love a good uh, Q&A. Yeah, totally. So what's, what's the go? What's, what, are we, what are we asking first? What do, we, what do we want to know? What do the people want to know? The people – well, look – the the hottest topic, I guess, is the election, right? The election is yeah. coming up. People don't know what the hell that means in terms of property prices, whether yeah. they should still do something now, whether it's going to affect things. So, I guess, what's what's your take on the on the election in general? Well, it's really interesting because I think by the time this episode comes out, the election will have happened, which is quite um, which is quite funny. But um, you know, it is really common for people to kind of pause before an election. So when we started the business back in 2019, we saw the exact same thing happening. But back in 2019, um, it was a little different, right? It was a little different um, because one of the major policy uh, pieces in the election was around um, the scrapping of negative gearing. And so if Labor got in, that was one of their big. That was one of their big things. They were going to scrap negative gearing and, you know, just because um, a lot of people in Australia have got negatively geared properties, you could kind of see that that might have a, a, some kind of an impact on the property market. Would it have been good? Would it have been bad? That's a whole that's a whole nother discussion um, altogether. Um, but I could kind of understand why that caused a little bit of uncertainty because, well, you know, there was a major policy piece on uh, on that was potentially going to affect uh, property prices. But the, the same kind of pause happens before every election. You know, it's it's actually a really well documented kind of phenomenon that people kind of 
you know, get really uncertain before an election and they start making less um, decisions, which is which is pretty interesting, right? Because fundamentally, um, nothing's going to change change in the property market. And it's really interesting, kind of like, I remember actually, um, it's like a year or so ago, um, there was one day where the share market just crashed by like, I don't know, like, like 3% or something like that. And I was one of those idiots that sold like right right at the, I was like, oh my God, it's all going bad. And I sold everything. And then literally the next day it went back up 3%, right? And I was, talk, I was talking to, um, to uh, a friend of ours actually, and he was, pro- without him knowing that I was one of those idiots that sold right at literally at the bottom of the dip you know, on that day and then it went back up the next day. He was like, man, it's so crazy that all these people are selling their shares because at the end of the day, those businesses aren't any different. You know, they are producing the same amount of profit. They're doing the same amount of revenue. They're doing all of that kind of stuff. So the businesses haven't changed. So why would they suddenly dip and then go back up by 3%? And then I told him that I was one of the people that sold and he laughed at me and said I was an idiot, right? Now, the, the point is though that um, uncertainty... <laughs> uncertainty um, can unseat some people, you know, it, it, it creates this kind of doubt in people's mind about what's going to happen. So, but if we look at the last, if we look at the last six elections, right? So if we go all the way back to um, uh, 2004, if we go back to 2004, in four out of the last six elections, the property market has boomed after the election. Now, to be fair, well, in t- to be completely transparent, um, Two of those elections have been the two where it's the property market has dipped afterwards have been when Labor have come into power. But, 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 big but on that. That does not mean if Labor gets into power that the property market is going to go down because, in fact, there have been significant boom periods under Labor governments as well. And after it was after the, um, the 2007 election, that there was a dip in the property market, but guess what? That was the GFC. There was a dip in the property market because of greater uncertainty because of the GFC. So you can't exactly blame, you can't exactly blame that on Labor. And in fact, the way that the government handled the GFC was actually, you know, renowned as being the best in the world and all of that kind of stuff, right? So I don't think there's any kind of this is not not a political statement. No, no, no. Crudzy, Kevin 07. No, <laughs> so. The point, the point being, it's like, and we're not trying to make a political statement about who is who is a better government to be in for for property investors, because quite frankly, it doesn't really matter. Like, it doesn't actually really matter. Um, you know, the se- the second election. So, what happened after the two thousand and seven election? Um, you know, the property market was going really strong, and in fact, continued to go to perform strongly straight after the election for a couple of months after the election, and then the effects of the GFC started to kick into gear, and then it started to kind of dip off, and then it found a bit of a valley and then it boomed again it just skyrocketed in like sort of from 2009 up to sort of 2010 there was another election that was when julia gillard um uh, came into power and again not much happened to the property market there was a dip in the years after that but that was to do with the macroeconomic environment that's not wasn't to do with any sort of significant policy change or anything like that at all so you know, I find it really, I find it really interesting. But if you look at the other, if you look at the other four uh, elections that happened, particularly the one in 2019, there was a massive boom afterwards. Now there was a massive decline all the way up to the election, all the way from 2017. So you wouldn't say that the decline it was because of 
the election. The property market was declining. It was just in a bit of a cycle. It was just doing its thing. That's all good. And then straight after the election, bang, it actually skyrocketed. It shot straight up. All the way back to 2000 and 2004, you can see these kind of trends happening. But what the overarching theme is, though, is that it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't really matter. The elections don't matter. The property market marches to its own, to the beat of its own drum, which is based around psychographics, demographics, and economics, right? And so if you can kind of understand those fundamentals, Mentals. And it really, it really doesn't actually matter unless there's going to be a major, a major shift in policy, right? Um, uh, and that's not actually that actually hasn't been on the cards. Um, that actually hasn't been on the cards at all um, during this election. So, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, and I guess, like you said, it's um, yeah, removed generally from who is in power or where we're at in terms of the like election cycle. But yeah, it, it I'd imagine it's more about. You know the eighteen point five year cycle. Like it's more about that kind of, yeah, macro. Where are we at? What are the fundamentals of what is happening here? Mm-hmm. Rather than kind of the more, you know, it's easier to comment on things like an election as a citizen to be like, hey, this is what's what's affecting things and prices yeah. and and whatnot. Versus like a, a macro kind of cycle. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, there's there's loads of other things. Like there is there's it is interlinked with the business cycle. It is interlinked with the 18.6 year economic cycle and different states perform differently. And like, you know, it's really, it's really fascinating. And I can categorically say it's got nothing to do with elections, right? There's a there's a lot of other inputs that go into understanding how the market works. And one of them is not um elections, right? So um but yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how it pans out after this election. Partly because you know there's a lot of media that are saying like, oh, you know, the property market is going to crash and all of that kind of stuff. But they're saying that kind of like just to kind of underline the point again. They're saying that regardless of the election, they're saying it is likely that the property market is going to crash, right? And um, not not that if Labor gets in, it's going to crash, or if Liberals get in, it's going to crash, or if it's a well, hung parliament, it's going to crash. They're just saying it's likely that the property market is going to go down. And by the way, there is also an election happening. You know, These two things are happening, whatever. Now, the point that I would make about the property market going down is I think that that is fundamentally wrong, right? I think that, I think that there's the potential that if you look at it on aggregate, that some of the higher priced areas may see some price decline or some price softening. And the total dollar value of those combined assets may be great enough to drag down the overall index of the property market in Australia. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't even mean that the majority of locations are going down, you know, like or going or even going sideways. You know, there's there's a hell of a lot of power in the property market right now, and I don't see anything. I really don't see anything um, fundamentally changing, barring like a major geopolitical event. You know, like you know, like you know, a, a, a black swan or a, or a massive ex- existential threat. Like if you know, if I don't know. I don't know. There's like it, it, there could be some other major event which which may happen, but but you can't foresee those, right? So barring any of those kind of like major unforeseen, completely life changing events like COVID is a great example of one. I can't see anything that's going to slow down the property market right now. Interesting. Mm. Cool. How about interest rates? Well, we talked about I interest rates. We've kind of touched on it a, a fair bit, but yeah. people still, you know, it's it's touted that they're going to start boosting back up like later this year. I think like it's a good said, thing. Yeah, I think they've said like increasing it up like two points by the end of 2023 or something. 
yeah. What's what's your take on interest rates? Are they going again? I know we've talked about this, but how how do you see it affecting house prices? People people still want to know, like how surely you know affordability is what it is. It's subjectively getting worse. Yeah. So when interest rates go up, repayments go go up, and affordability gets even worse. So how do you how do you see that? Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting because I actually spoke to um, Terry Ryder about this on the podcast. Um, Tezza. Yeah, Tezza, and you know the 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 theory goes that uh, affordability is going to become worse for homeowners because <laughs> interest rates are higher and they're not claiming any rent on their properties, so therefore it's all coming straight out of the back pocket. Terry made a really good point that when people buy a home, they're not assessed on their actual borrowing capacity. They're assessed on their borrowing capacity plus a buffer, right? Of, you know, two or three, two or three percentage points. So even if interest rates go up, it doesn't mean that people are going to suddenly, oh my God, I can't afford this house and they're going to sell it, right? You know, that's that's likely not going to happen because the banks have already assessed their affordability um, based on their ability to repay at a higher interest rate. Does that make sense? Right? So and and I think that's a really I think it's a really smart point, right? Because what's likely not going to happen is people aren't going to suddenly have to start fire sailing properties and be like, oh my god, I can't afford this now. Interest rates are going up because a wages are going up, and also they're assessed on their ability to repay at a higher rate anyway, right? So people are still going to be able to afford it. But that being said, you know it can affect home ownership affordability for your ability to get a loan, right? So if you're trying to get a loan and interest rates have gone up by, you know, let's say they've gone up by 2%, which they're not going to go up by that much anyway. They're going to go up by like two basis points or something. They're not going to go up by two whole percent, right? I don't think. So even if it went up by 2%, right? Then, so then you would be assessed on that increased interest rate plus the buffer, right? So it could actually be a barrier for people to get into the market, right? Which would which would be a decrease in home ownership affordability. But that being said, that doesn't mean that property prices are going to go down. And in fact, the borders have just reopened. You know, there's a lot, there is a lot of firepower um, behind the market. I'm going to circle back to the interest rates piece specifically. There's some very interesting stuff that are coming out of the back of that, but. You know, borders have just reopened. We've got international students uh, arriving. We're looking at um, uh, having, a, I think, a couple hundred thousand migrants coming in over the next um, over the next couple of years. Like it's huge the amount of migration that's going on. That's all driven by a need for jobs. We've got record low un- unemployment rates. We've got a household and business savings war chest of four hundred and thirty billion dollars, which is being deployed at the economy. It's in cash. That's cash. Sitting in people's Impressive. bank accounts, wow. which yeah. is which is hectic, which is the biggest it's ever been. We've got the highest household savings rate in 25 years. We've got the second highest disposable income percentage ever, even despite inflation. There's over 600 billion dollars being spent by the government. There's a nationwide infrastructure boom. There's there's still relatively easy access to credit. Like you know, it's like the access to credit is actually quite easy. You know, there's still a lot of lenders out there. There's like like no one's talking about credit tightening at the moment. And also there's inflation, right, which is actually a good thing for property markets, right? So you've got all these underlying things that are, broadly speaking, driving the property market. We have got a crazy housing shortage. Like it's insane. And we can't catch up. And so we already were in a housing deficit, I think, of about 144,000 houses. We were in that deficit already pre-COVID. 
And then because of all the supply chain disruption, um, we're now unable to get all the materials we need to be able to build houses, which is why building costs have gone up so much, which makes it unaffordable to build because building costs have gone up so much and there's huge delays. I know someone who had planned to to, um, build a duplex in, um, I think in Orange or something like that, or in Goulburn or something like that. But it's taking, it's literally taking years because of COVID and now um, supply chain disruptions and all of that kind of stuff. And they're still potentially, I think, a year or two years away from even being even building it, right? Which is crazy. And so you've kind of got all of these um, macroeconomic factors, which are driving a tightening in the ability for us to generate the housing that's required. So there's governmental issues and stuff. They need to better release more land. They need to better do all this kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is we just can't build enough houses for all the people who want them, which is actually pretty wild, right? When you really think about what that actually means, that means that not everyone who wants a house can have one to live in, to rent even, right? This isn't just home ownership. This is like, this is dwellings per person or people per dwelling. So um, that also then extends into a rental crisis as well. Now, I'm not here to try and... um, uh, propose that anyone should be kind of like preying on the on the you know situations of others or anything like that. But like the fact of the matter is that as interest rates go up, rents go up as well, and as inflation goes up, rents go up as well. And right now, rents are going up. And in fact, as it stands today, um, since Dece- since the start of December 2021, it's now the end of April 2022. So we're sort of talking four or five months there. Um, house rents, so rents rents for houses. Nationally, the national average rent for houses has increased by 31.93%. Rents have gone, yeah, rents have gone up by 31.93%. Everyone's talking about property prices going up. But if you look at the if you look at the March quarter, national average for houses in the March quarter, so that's January through to March, and this aggregates all locations and all that kind of stuff for houses, property prices only increased by 2.4%. In that quarter, so rents are currently skyrocketing faster than prices, right? Which is great news for investors, and also they're going up way faster than interest rates, right? So they're going up way, way, way faster than interest rates, right? And they're going to keep going up faster than interest rates, right? The reason they're going to keep going up faster than interest rates is because of the shortage of supply. The increase in demand, right? And then you've got the macroeconomic factors, right? You've got then you've got the kind of added pressure of some potential home ownership unaffordability and people choosing to rent for longer and all of these other various factors. Plus, you've got lifestyle factors too, right? Because you've got to remember that there was a trend that started before COVID. Everyone thinks it started during COVID, and that was the exodus to affordable lifestyle. It started well and truly before COVID, and there's loads of evidence to support that, right? And that was the migration of people out of the cities to live in places that they could. Um, that they could have a better lifestyle and all of that kind of stuff that was more affordable and they could work remotely. That's exacerbated now. And what's actually happening with that is that people are choosing diversity over stability, right? And so they're choosing to rent more. Gabby, you and I are a classic case. We talk, we haven't moved anywhere, but we talk about it all the time. Oh, maybe we should just like move there for a month. Maybe we should move to Noosa for a month. And maybe we should go there for a month. And, you know, like we should just move around. And people are renting. They're literally, they're renting more because they, they're going, oh, hey, let's go try somewhere else. Let's, let's see what life is all made about. Right. So, that is that's really changing the dynamic. Me personally, I have like literally zero concerns about rising interest rates, right? Because as interest rates rise, all of the other economic factors rise with it as well. Like I don't think I don't think we're going to see. I read an article 
uh, recently that was about um, how negative gearing has gone the way of the dinosaur because it's almost impossible to negatively gear because of how low the interest rates are, right? And so you've got to remember, you've got to remember that, that we are not living, uh, we're not living in some bygone era where, you know, rents are dirt cheap. And by, by the way, as interest rates go up, like that doesn't mean that property prices are going to go down. So in fact, in 1988 to 1989, interest rates rose from 14% to 17% and house prices rose by over 35% in the same period. What? They went from 14% to 17%. I don't know many, like, I don't know many investors that were buying properties. Like my parents bought a house during that time. I know that. Right, but I don't know many current investors that have bought a property where interest rates have been 14% to 17%, but property prices rose 35% over that same period. That was 88 to 89. 90 to 93, um, the interest rates dropped from 17% to 9%. That's an 8% drop in three years, and house prices didn't do anything. They just basically went flat. You would think that if house, if interest rates dropped by 8%, that house prices would suddenly rocket up. With nothing happened. Like nothing happened. It was like the non-event of the fucking century, right? Uh, and then in uh, 19, uh, 1996 to 97, house prices uh, dropped by 4%. Yeah. And uh, sorry, uh, interest rates dropped by 4%. And yeah, house prices went up by 10%. But like, is that correlated or is that, you know, just a random other act? In 2003 to 2008, interest rates rose from 6.5% to 9%, right? So that's, that's nearly 3%, 2.5%. And house prices stayed flat for most of it and then continued to, then continue to grow towards the end of that period. So there's like a whole body of evidence to suggest that interest rates have got zero correlation with property prices. Um, but they may ha- they may have a positive correlation with rents, right? And so um, this could actually be a really good opportunity for investors who are looking to get in the market. But it really comes down to those people who are prepared to take action, right? Because a lot of people will sit on their hands and they'll say, oh, now maybe it's the wrong time to get in the market because oh interest rates are going to go up yeah yeah that's my that's my excuse now yeah yeah interest rates are going to go up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah 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 that'll be bad that could be bad let's just wait and see what happens well when are, at what point are you going to decide whether or not your thesis is correct like when it's too late potentially like what do you oh hang on oh there's an election coming up yeah 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 that's my excuse right now yeah yeah mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit around and I'm going to oh let's wait till after the election let's wait till after the election right it just sounds like all of these people who talk about wanting to lose weight and they say, I'll, I'll start next week. Well, quit smoking. Yeah, I'm going to quit smoking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just, I've got this little, th- I've got this thing going on. I'll do it after that. And then something else comes up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to get on it. I promise. I'm going to just, I'm going to do it just after that thing. And they keep delaying. And then, you know, next thing they've been smoking for 40 years. You know what I mean? And I just see all of these as like, distractions from the main game, which is understanding how the property market works, finding the right property in the right place at the right time, and building a scalable, profitable property portfolio as fast as possible with the least amount of risk. And I just, you know, it's quite funny. And I know I'm ranting a little bit here, Gabby, I'm on one, but it's quite funny because the amount of um, team members, Dash.team team members, and also clients who in the last probably three months, right? So we've been talking about things like fractal economics and the ability to build a scalable property portfolio and understanding how to use, you know, how to how to specifically target the right types of properties to be able to scale your property portfolio, get the maximum return and, and to do it with a fairly minimal uh, input of cash, right? In the, in the last couple of months, I've had so many people coming to me and basically saying, hang on a second, Goose, what's going on here? I'm like, what? Well, hang on a second. I started buying properties and now I'm still buying properties. And then the bank's telling me I can just keep buying more properties. Like, what, 
like what the fuck basically something's broken and i'm like no that's the whole thesis that's it like that is literally that is literally it you know one of our one of our team members i think he's got five properties and he said to us the other day he said uh so it looks like i can buy another five properties and he was like what like what the hell what the hell is going on here and Another one of our team members, he said, hang on a second, I think, I think something's broken. I think I've discovered something. I've basically, I've got all these properties that are producing about a 380% cash on cash return and I've only got about $9,000 invested because I've refinanced it all out. He's like, is something broken? I'm like, no, no, this is the thesis, right? So there's a way, like if you go back all the way back to when we very first started, Gabby, what was the whole premise? The whole premise was how do you develop an investment strategy or an investment thesis, Right. That is an all-weather strategy that is going to that is going to put you in good stead no matter what happens in politics or the economy, right? That's what we've been doing for three years. So that's not going to change. <laughs> that's not going to change if someone changes government. Anyway, I've been waffling. What do you think about all that? Uh, no, look, I like that you brought it back to like the the thesis that we started this whole journey with. You know, the Holy Trinity, right? Very early in the business, we were like. You know, you know, how we started learning about investing ourselves was like it only really makes sense to get properties that are in high-growth locations, positive cash flow with value-add potential. Like that is what makes sense if that you have a mix of those in your portfolio that you have the best of all of the world, right? Um, but I think that makes sense as well like in the current environment. It's like if you're buying in locations that have good fundamentals, right, like ex- exodus to affordability and lifestyle, like people are having more choice and their values have shifted massively, generally speaking, the last couple of years where everyone's like, I want to have more choice and I want to live where I want to live, not because it's convenient for my work or whatever. And people are kind of prioritizing that more now. So that's why you see the fundamentals really like still singing true in a lot of those locations where people have more design, massive infrastructure and everything going on. But, you know, you have those good location, good growth locations, but also the um, positive cash flow side of it. Like you're talking about that, that rental increase the last quarter, what was it, 31% or something? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's if you're buying in locations that there is always ongoing demand for renters as well, and the rental prices are still going to keep going up, then it offsets the increase in, in interest rates, right? Generally speaking. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like it, it is coming back to those fundamentals. And then you have value adds where it's like, okay, when everything turns sour, because we are in quite a, you know, we're in a summer period in terms of the cycle of, of in that in that 18.6 year cycle, like it's a, it is a summer period for price growth at the moment. But sometimes when, um, you know, there'll be a period where it kind of does correct a little and that's when people start freaking out and then there's value adds that you can apply. Well, I just want to, I kind of want to jump in there, right? Because that's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting what you're saying, right? Because you're 100% correct. Every market goes through a summer and a winter, right? And in the winter, not a lot happens and sometimes prices decline. But... Right. What's actually really important to understand is that broadly speaking, the, the whole property market probably isn't going to like crash and correct. Yeah, we're in a really good part of the cycle right now, and that's all well and good, right? But um, what uh, what I what where I love how we've developed as a business is like at the start, you're right. It was you know the whole value whole point of having value adds was so that if things changed in the in the macroeconomic environment and all of that kind of stuff, you would have a way to be able to manufacture more equity and more cash flow to be able to weather that storm. It was a risk management factor. 
But the point is we've actually developed so much technology now that we actually don't like that's almost become a completely moot point, you know, our ability. So it was a risk management factor because, all right, okay. So you want to buy the right property in the right place, right? time, high growth, right? Good cash flow, Good. But what if you get it wrong? Like what if you pick the wrong location, right? What if you, okay, well, you want to make sure that you got something in the back pocket, a lever you can pull to cha-ching and pull some extra cash out of it. So it's not a, it's not a done investment. That all makes sense. But, you know, we're investing tons of money right now, you know, in in continuously refining that. And we have a whole we have a team of 14 who are fully dedicated to solving that 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 piece. Like how do you identify the right place at the right time? So the risk has massively reduced, massively reduced to the point to the point that when you and I are buying properties now, we actually don't want any value adds. You know, like we have we have specifically told the team we don't want value adds, not interested, don't want to do them, don't need a project. We're busy. No, thank you. Just buy the right property in the right place at the right time. That's it, right? No value adds whatsoever. But back to the point about the fact that that markets do move in cycles, not circles, cycles. They actually move in what's called what's called an S curve, right? Where they tend to go relatively flat. They go through a curve. They go through a boom period, and then they curve and they go relatively flat. That's a typical. That's a typical cycle pattern, right? Um, and what we're developing at the moment is um, the signals, so we can know. You know, one uh, six months, one year, and three years in advance, which way the market is going to go and by how much. So we're going to be able to see when exactly those markets are potentially going to end that season, that summer season, and then start to taper off, which is awesome because then again, you don't need to worry about value adds. You can just get in and out at the right time, which is pretty wild. Like that's like that's that's basic. You know, it's pretty wild when you really consider the implications of that. Awesome. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, Gabby, I thought that that was a really interesting discussion. I know we only covered um, two points there. We covered um, obviously, like what what about the election, basically, and what about interest rates? We went a little bit tangential, but I thought it was really, really valuable. Um, I've enjoyed this. Should we do it again soon? Sounds great. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as well. And if you want to get your questions asked and answered on the show, then send us mm-hmm. an email to til at dashdot.com.au. That's T-I-L, which stands for the Investor Lab, mm-hmm. T-I-L at dashdot.com.au. And we will get your questions asked on the show so you can get the answers to the mo- those most burning questions or any concerns that you might have about the property market, your personal property strategy, and more. So send us an email. We absolutely love to hear it and we'd love to... Um, love to feature you on the show until next time see you soon bye